You're listening to the MaritimeGardening.com podcast, episode 12. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to episode 12 of the MaritimeGardening.com podcast. And uh, how are you today, Greg? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a rainy day. It is a rainy day. It's kind of a a dreary summer day, but kind of nice after all that heat. But I guess the heat's going to come back. So that's what we're going to talk about today, rainy days and gardening. Yes. Um, We were going to record on something else, and I think we will, but I... uh was outside in my garden this morning. I go to my garden every morning or almost every morning unless it's pouring down and just have a look at what happened the night before because things always happen at night. Things always grow. Mm. Or also if your garden's being attacked by pests, <laughs> they tend to attack at night or early in the morning so <laughs> yeah. you can see. If there's something you need to do, like I noticed some of my kale was getting attacked by slugs, so I need to mm. deal with that in some way unless I want to share more kale with slugs. Yeah. Um, but Luckily, the bunny rabbits have not been back for five days, so that's... They buggered off. Maybe they got too big to get through my fence or... Yeah, I'm maybe. Not that's quite it. sure, but I see no evidence of damage, so that's great. Excellent. Now things can grow. Cool, cool. But yeah, I thought I'd do... Uh, I don't know what other people do on rainy days, um, but if I'm if I'm home and it's a rainy day, there's a lot of things you can do... Well, one thing in particular, I guess there's not a lot of things you can do in your garden. It's a good day to plant because the watering is sort of being done for you. Right. Um, but there's one thing you can do in your garden that uh, can be very handy, uh, and uh, I'm going to talk about that. You can really take advantage of, of a rainy day, or even if you've got a stretch of rainy days coming, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. So I'm going to talk about that, why, okay. why it's a good thing, why it can be a good thing, as long as it stops eventually. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, I guess maybe before we get into that, I'll just say that um, our last episode, episode 11, we had some user, some listener feedback on our Facebook page, and uh, you answered a bunch of questions there. That was great. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah. Uh, one of the listeners asked about sort of cheap, easy, quick uh, trellises for different climbing plants mm-hmm. and uh, there's lots of ways to do a trellis um, you can use nets you can use all kinds of different things but uh, you know I gave a couple of simple suggestions using a tree branch um, yeah. makes a great trellis for anything it climbs because it's naturally spread out and branched out but or making a tripod out of sticks and mm-hmm. wrapping a rope around the tripod in sort of an upward uh, spiral so okay. that, you know whatever the if it's a viney thing, it can go up the sticks, but also that by wrapping that rope around in a sort of spiral pattern up towards it from the bottom up to the top, it gives more surface area for climbing plants to grab. Right. But another uh, couple ways to do a trellis, and I'm thinking about beans right now because I think the listener was um, asking about beans, although mm-hmm. I think the listener mentioned bush beans, which generally don't need a, a trellis. Okay. Uh, at least in my experience, they usually be usually stout enough that uh, they stand up on their own. But maybe you know the listener has a a variety that's tippy, or they have a windy. They're in a windy spot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, another couple ways to do uh, trellises that are quick and easy. Um, one I use a lot, and I just found out about this a couple of years, called a Florida trellis. 
and I use this um, primarily for, I use it for peas and I use it for tomatoes. My beans, I tend to plant them against a fence or something like that, so they just climb the fence and I don't have to. And if you've got a fence, do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Or get some of that uh, concrete wire remesh. You know, you can get a sheet of it for four by eight sheet for nine bucks. Just lean that against your fence. You know, put right. a couple nails or screws up top so it doesn't tip down and things can climb that. It's a quick, easy one, okay. but that's, that's nine bucks. That's that's money, Dave. Yeah, that uh, is money. It's crazy talk, spend money. <laughs> um, so another, you know, a great thing you can have in your garden is uh, if you go to a dollar store, they get all this string and twine in the garden center, and it's all all the twine is non-biodegradable. Mm-hmm. They either have wire that's surrounded in plastic. Right. They've got sort of like a poly something or other rope. And, I mean, it's good because you know it's going to stand up, but eventually, you know, by October, November, you're going to have to dismantle all that stuff and put that stuff away. Right. And... You can't just cut that stuff up and throw it in your compost bin because no. it's just going to sit there forever. Yeah. So I don't buy my twine from there. I go to the sort of <laughs> tool section of the dollar store. Right. And they've got a kind of twine there called jute twine. Okay. And it's just made out of a plant. It's made out of this fibrous material or hemp, right? Yeah. You get the hemp twine or the jute twine. And uh, the beauty of that stuff is when you're taking apart your trellises or, you know, whatever you've used it for, you know, holding up your tomatoes or, you know, uh, maybe you're training your squashes up a fence or something like that and you need to tie it on somehow. Mm-hmm. You just cut all that with a pair of scissors or a knife and you just throw it in your compost bin right. and it'll just, just break down and disappear by the following year. Right. So, uh, and it's cheap. I mean, you can get, I don't know, 100 feet for a buck or two, you know, so... Yeah. Buy one or two rolls of that. I leave it outside, and it's just—it's always out out in my garden. I have a pair of scissors, a stainless steel knife, and a bunch of rolls of jute, all oh. season. Um, so anyway, here's stuff you can do with jute. Um, the Florida trellis is—if you have a row, so like I plant my tomatoes in rows in a four by ten plot, so they're in four foot rows. You could do it lengthwise too. It's up to you. Anyway, you put two stakes, you put a stake at either end of the row. So let, let's say you want your tomatoes to grow four feet high. Mm-hmm. So you, you pound, you get six foot stakes and you pound it down two feet. So it's four feet's going to be sticking out of the ground. You get, so you've got a stake at either end of the row. And then all you got to do is you tie a piece of string every, every foot or every 10 inches. So once your plants get high enough that they start needing a little bit of support. So let's say once the plant gets about... 16 inches tall, right? Mm-hmm. A tomato will start yeah. getting floppy around that, that height. Same with, uh, uh, or, or a bean or a pea, even six inches. Once, once a bean or a pea gets six inches high, if it's not a bush type, it's going to start sending out a tendril. It's going to want something to grab onto. So yeah. six inches is where you start needing that. So you put, at six inches high, you tie a string to one end, one stick, and then you stretch it across and tie it to the other end. And you do that on either side of the plant. So you're basically making like a big loop that mm-hmm. goes around both sides of the row. Yeah. Um, so nothing's tied onto the plants. There's just basically a, a little line of rope or string on either side of the, the, the plant all the way along the row holding that up. You, you Google it. You can find, maybe I'll find a good link. Yeah, yeah. It's called a Florida trellis. And it's a very, very quick way to trellis a lot of, you know, distance. Okay. And you want to put those stakes like, I've done long rows with them, and um, I find you need to stake about every six feet, or they start to get elastic, and you know they sort of don't have any strength. So you need to stake about at least every six feet. 
Um, but I, you know, I had a big, long – last year my tomato garden was in a different location. It was long. It was probably 15 feet long. So mm-hmm. I had, you know, maybe it might have even been 20 feet long. It was quite a long tomato garden. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just did the floor to trellis thing. It took me no time to set it up and I just used like, st- like sticks, dead trees in the backyard and oh. that cheap jute. Um, nice. That's one way. Another way, if, especially if you're going to go very high, um, I mean you're going to go as high as you can reach. Yeah. Right. So, you, but you, you drive two posts into the ground on either end of the row, and then you attach a beam across the top of the post. You can tie it on, or you can screw it on with a with a you know electric drill or a cordless drill, or you can nail it on. But you're going to attach a beam across the top of the two posts. Right. Okay, so it looks like a soccer goal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, all you do is you tie jute or you know hemp. Strings. Uh, for every plant you have, you tie a string on that beam that goes across the top. Right. And you just pull the beam, you pull the string down to where your plant. This is really good for beans. Um, this is especially for beans. Anything that's viney that has those little um, twisty things that it sends around things. So beans or peas. Yeah. You pull that string all the way down to your plant, and where your plant is, you just twirl that string around the plant all the way down to the ground and you know you do this on an evening where it's not too windy right and you're not tying it to the plant you're just sort of twirling it around the plant a bit and so that it sort of sticks to the plant and the beauty of jute and hemp and stuff like that is it sticks to things really well it's, it's got a lot of fiber it's right. woolly you know right. um so you, you just sort of twist it around the plant a few times and by the next morning the plant will have wrapped itself around it anyway because that's what mm-hmm. those kind of plants do and it'll so the string is anchored to the ground by being attached to the plant. Hmm. And then the plant will just climb up the string all the way to that beam. Nice. Um, so it's really quick. I mean, all you got to do is, you know, post, post, beam, attach the beam somehow, yeah. and uh, just, you know, nail it in. And, and, and for your posts, you know, for anything like that, I'd drive them in, you know, two feet was, is ideal. You know, right. if, it, you know if, you, if you're pounding it in and it only goes in 20 inches. That's fine. Um, Forget it, you know, just who cares? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? yeah. <laughs> you know, if you got to support it with some sort of tent, tent pole, you know, yeah. a, a guy, guy wire or whatever, but, sure. you know, don't get bent into shape on parameters. I say two feet because it's yeah. ideal, but if yeah. you're just a bit short of that, so what? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, chances are it's not going to blow over. No. Cool. So perhaps yeah. that's a good thing to do on a rainy day. Well, it's the other uh, beauty uh, thing of, you know, as long as it's not too rainy outside, especially where I live, because I'm not in the suburbs, um, rainy days tend to have less horse flies and deer flies and bugs, you know, if it's not super, it tends to cool down a bit, so the bug, so it's a good day to sort of do anything construction-y, especially in the heat of July, it tends to be a bit cooler, so if you're going to do something that's a bit physical, it's, you know, I try to do everything in my garden when it's the right day to do it. Why force it? So mm. why would you want to be out there in 30 degrees doing all that hard stuff, you know? Yeah. 30 degrees is a day you just go out to your garden and pick stuff to have a nice meal with yeah. your bar. You know, it's um, – so, yeah, save you know, all those sort of physical harder things uh, like putting up trellises. not that physical, but um, – yeah. You'd, you know, you'd rather be doing it on a day like today where it's just sort of like, I, I, you know, this is you know, kind of like a foggy, rainy day, I guess. Yeah. So you're not getting a sunburn. Right. You can do those little projects, with, you know. Mm. So that's one good thing to do on a rainy day is uh, some sort of trellis-like project or reorganizing or moving things around or if you're going to build a new bed or anything like that, something that, you know, yeah. 
Um, you, you just make a list of all those things, whether it's a mental list or an actual list on a piece of paper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you've got the time, you do those things on rainy days. Cool. So that's number one. Rainy days do things that cool weather and less sun uh, make doing those things a little nicer to do. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about today is number one, why it's good when it rains when you have a permaculture garden. And then number two, about moving plants. Um, rainy days are when I move plants. And okay. I plant my plants in such a way that I can move them. And then when it's a rainy day, I move them, and I'm going to tell you why and how to do all that stuff if, okay. if you're not already doing it. So number one is if you have a permaculture garden, you've got a mulch everywhere. Everywhere there's something growing, there's a mulch, whether it's grass clippings or you know leaves that you raked up or wood chips that you got uh, from chipping it yourself or getting buying them or whatever, some sort of wood chip mulch, or hay or straw or, what, or seaweed, mm-hmm. whatever your mulch is. You've got this mulch on your garden, and when it rains, number one, all of that rain, especially if it's a good hard rain, it's going to pull some of the nutrients in that mulch. You know, Whatever it is, it's organic material. It's got all kinds of nutrients in it. Some of those nutrients are going to go out of the mulch and into your soil. So on a, any day where there's a good hard rain, your garden's getting a little bit of a shot in the arm. It's getting a little fertilizer. Right. Without you having to do any of that. Now, someone asked me, I think, uh, on Facebook there, um, when do you fertilize your tomatoes? Well, the answer is I don't. Uh, right. You know, I, I have a mulch, and every time it rains, they get fertilized a little bit. Nice. And because there's a mulch there, the worms are working away, doing their thing, putting out uh, worm castings, and they're fertilizing my tomatoes. So. Yeah. That's all being taken care of. I, I add a bit of manure if the garden can perform well or, or a little bit of mulch uh, every fall. That's the only time I do anything like that. And fertilization is basically taken care of for me by the rain mm-hmm. when it works with my mulch. Right on. So that's number one. Mulch. And anyone who may, may not have caught the mulch episode, that's episode four. So you can go to, the, go to maritimegardening.com slash 004. You can tune into that one. Um, but number two and this is the main thing I do whenever it rains I'm excited as long as it's not raining too bad because I'll have all I plant when I plant my uh, rows I always plant everything in rows Um, I think someone asked me a question as well uh, how do you know which plants are weeds and which plants aren't well if you plant your plants in a row then there's going to be a you know you're going to have a whole bunch of things that look the same Mm. and then some things that don't look the same even if you you know, I used to mark my rows, you know, I'd put the row in, then I'd get a little popsicle stick, and I'd write parsnips, and I'd stick <laughs> that in. But on the scale I'm guarding right now, that's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you plan out, I plan my garden, we're going to do an episode on this, but I plan my garden, out, and I take a picture of the whole thing from above. I'm lucky right. yeah, there's a hill above my garden, right. and I put it in an Excel, and it makes a little uh, <laughs> map of where everything is. Okay. So I won't plant the same thing in that spot the following year. Uh, okay. And I sort of give myself a rough, I change my mind a little bit, but I, I, you know, I sit down in, in March and say, okay, where's everything going to grow this year? So I have a rough idea where things are going to go. And I always go off the script a little bit, but yeah. generally speaking, everything's where I plan to put it. Mm-hmm. And I'll put everything in rows. And even if you forgot what you planted in that row, you're going to see a whole bunch of things that look the same growing in a line and other things that don't look like those things. Right. <laughs> so if it's not in the line, if it's not the same as the line, get rid of it. You know, yeah. it's, it's a weed. Yeah. Um, so that's just the easiest way. Gotcha. Also, you know, the bigger your plants get, uh, they start. The, when, most seedlings, when they come up, 
when they're small, they all kind of look the same. It's two little leaves. But once they put out a second set of leaves and a third set of leaves, those leaves will start looking like the actual plant. Like a tomato, the first leaves don't, they look like a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But the second leaves, they look like tomato plant leaves. Right. You know, and sometimes you can even pick them up and smush them up in your fingers and smell it. Tomato leaves have a very distinct smell. Yeah. Um, if you've got cilantro, that leaf it smells like cilantro. A lot right. of plants will have a distinct smell. Some don't. Um, you know, if you're growing a squash, by the time the second leaves are out, you've got this huge leaf. It's obviously a squash. Um, so when I plant my rows, I plant them quite thick. So, you know, if I'm planting a row of carrots, I don't plant like one seed every inch. I, I plant like a whole bunch of carrots in a row. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you put one every inch, there'd be like maybe 20 carrots. Right. But I'm, I'm putting down like 50, 60 carrots. I'm just carpeting. You know, I made a line with my hand and I'm just putting a whole bunch of carrots down there because number one, not every seed germinates. So yeah. you, you got to compensate for that. But number two, if your soil is really soft and really loamy, and really loose, and if you've got a good permaculture garden with good soil and a mulch, it will be. As those uh, plants start coming in, they're going to find their own room. The soil's soft enough that they can just sort of move out of the way and mm-hmm. find their own. They won't start, you know, the, the soil's soft enough, you know, that they can find their own space. Right. So I do this with almost everything I plant, especially things I've saved seeds for, so the seeds didn't cost me anything, then you can just go crazy, right? Mm, yeah. So you plant heavy, whether it's kale or whatever, and because you don't know what the germination rate's going to be. But then, you know, and you let them grow. Let them grow to a good size. So let them grow to the size that you'd buy a transplant at. Mm-hmm. So whatever the plant is, once it's starting to reach that size that you, you'd see in the transplant store, then you, you start looking for a rainy day. And when you've got a good rainy day, um, if it's something like, this is when i, I got to move some kale today. Yeah. So um, I planted rows that have way more than, you know, there's not enough room for the plants that are there. Root plants, they'll, they'll find their own space. You're not going to move root plants. You can't move, don't move carrots and parsnips and stuff like that. They're just mm-hmm. going to find their own space. Right. But uh, plants like uh, kale and stuff like that, they have these big broad leaves and they all need sun. So everything needs to have its own space. And a kale plant's going to be, it's going to need at least a one foot by one foot area per plant because that's how mm. big they get. They even get bigger than that. They can, yeah. they can be almost two feet wide if they're really happy and really yeah. healthy. Um, so you got to move them around. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to plant one seed every foot <laughs> because no. the rate of the seed, regeneration rate of the seeds like, 10, 20, 30, 40%. I don't know right, what, right. you know, they're not all going to germinate. So you're going to have to put more seeds out than you want. And then you're going to have all these plants. It's a shame to just kill them. Yeah. Um, so you sort of carefully try to pull out on a nice rainy day when everything's wet and there's not a lot of hot sun. You carefully try to pull them out and do it in a way that use your bare hands. You can't do this with gloves. You have to feel this. You try to get your hand down on there and you try to get that plant out without messing up the roots too bad. Not the end of the world if you you know break a root here and there, but you got to try to, as best you can, keep that root uh, structure mm-hmm. intact. Mm-hmm. And then you just take that out, and wherever you're planning to put those things, you you move them. Yeah. Right. And that way they can recover. Right. They mm-hmm. can recover because there's not going to be a hot sun on them. The soil's yeah. nice and moist. Yeah. Um, they can get a bit of a break. 
And, you know, even when you're doing that, it's, it's good to, if there's any lower leaves that look lousy or whatever, you know, snap off a couple of the leaves of the thing you're moving. Mm-hmm. Because by snapping off a couple of the leaves, you're, it's going to have more root, root per leaf. Okay. So there's less for those less work for the roots to do. All so right. you're giving it a bit of a, a break. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, the more foliage there is, the more more water the plant needs, the more everything the plant needs. So mm-hmm. you snap off a couple leaves without damaging the, the seedling too much, and uh, you're going to give that plant a little bit of a break. Nice. And then move them. And then the beauty of that, why it's good to move them like that, is that you're going to find over the next two three weeks. All the plants you moved are going to be smaller. So the plants that stayed are going to outgrow the plants you moved. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the plant is, like if you moved a, you know, I plant my uh, squashes, you know, I'll plant two or three seeds in a little area. Yeah. And if I've got somewhere to stick, you, you don't want two, two or three squash growing next to each other. They get huge, right? right. So you got to move, you know, move, move them so there's just one there. Mm-hmm. For ideal conditions, right? To give that one plant all the real estate. Yeah. So if you got some other place to put the other ones, you do. But what's going to happen is that the plant you moved is going to be set back a couple weeks. Right. Nothing likes being moved, right? It'd be like giving you a new stomach. You'd lose yeah. some weight if you had a yeah. stomach transplant. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yep. Uh, best diet ever, sort of thing. If it yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, um, so the beauty of that is that. Whatever the plant is, if you've got more than one of it, right, one of the most difficult things when you've got a garden of any size is getting overwhelmed with too much of something. Mm -hmm. You've got no zucchini, no new zucchini, no zucchini, and then 10 zucchini a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot of zucchini, you know. That's uh, that's hard to keep up with. So by moving, let's say you move half of them to other places – those other ones, they're going to come in a couple weeks later than the original ones, yeah. the ones that didn't move. Mm-hmm. So just when those ones start running out, you know, you're going to get the other ones to start producing. Mm-hmm. So that's a great thing for any green, like a Swiss chard or a kale or whatever. You know, a lot of those plants, they do get exhausted a little bit. Yeah. You know, they, they start to not taste as good and they don't, they just lose their vigor. Right. So when that's starting to happen, you can... You can just, you know, you can you can keep harvesting with, from them. You're just not getting as much, or you can just switch over and go to your uh, the new ones. Mm-hmm. Also, you can, you know, leave a couple like for a, a plant like kale. You can you can leave the real, you know, if you had a if you planted a whole bunch of kale from seed and it was an heirloom seed, and we'll do a whole episode on saving seeds. If it's an heirloom seed, you take your the most amazing plant you had and you don't even touch it. You don't harvest from it. You leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And maybe leave two of them alone so you've got someone to mate with sort of thing. Yeah. You leave them and leave them so that they'll go to seed and you can take the seeds from that amazing plant. You know, that plant's a winner, right? Yeah. And you can start getting things happening in your garden that no one else is able to do because you found a seed that likes your conditions. You know, when you mm-hmm. buy a seed from a store... It's seeds that like the conditions of where that seed was raised. Yeah, right. And you wouldn't think it would that be be that uh, specific, but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that just do well. Some your soil, your you know your light, your soil, your moisture content, your light levels, everything, the windiness of where you are, all those things. Yeah. Um, some things like that, and some things don't, and there's there's variation with within every variety. So, mm-hmm. you know, saving seeds is. Uh, 
a great thing to do. Cool. Uh, and uh, the whole reason I got on the topic was that sometimes you, you don't want to leave the plants alone because you want to eat them. Right, right, right. <laughs> but if you've got this second wave coming, then it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll just leave him alone because I've got all this other stuff coming in. Yeah. Also, it can be handy because as that plant's getting bigger and it might attract pests to it, so they'll leave yeah, your yeah. other plants alone. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> gotcha. Get lucky that way. You know, that's why when it rains, you should be like rubbing your hands together and, oh, I can't wait to get out there. I got get all the stuff work. I got to do. Get to work. <laughs> you're not hiding. You're like, yeah. you're engaged. And oh, one final point about rain. Man, the other thing about rain is that if you have a couple rainy days or one good rainy day and then you have like a really, really sunny day that follows it and that happens in July and August. Yeah, it does. The morning after that sunny day, you want to get out and you're, you're going to see growth like just nothing ever compares to the results of rain. Yeah. And if you've got a permaculture garden with a mulch everywhere, unlike other gardens where you water it and then the sun comes out and the water disappears, mm. that water is going to charge your garden up just like mm. a battery. Mm. And three days of hot, hot, crazy hot sun, you're going to look under your mulch and it's still going to be moist. The yeah, soil is going to be perfectly moist. Um, and your plants are just growing because... I mean, the hotter it is, your plants want to grow when it's hot, but they can't do that if they're dry. It, yeah, so, it just begs the question, why aren't more people doing this? Well, it seems, you know, you got you need a source of the mulch, and yeah. it seems like a little added work. Right, initially. Uh, uh, and, it, I mean, changing your garden over to that approach, yeah. there's a bit of energy that goes into that. But, yeah. I mean, you don't have to do all this watering. No, it sounds great. You know, I just went away for four or five days to a, a resort in Picto, on a vacation with the family, and... I had called a friend and I said, uh, I need you to look after my garden when I'm gone. And she said, well, what do you need me to do? I said, oh, I just need you to pick the strawberries so the birds don't get them. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a hot, all those days were sunny and, and hot, basically. Yeah. So all she had to do was eat my food. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, if there's anything else you want, take that too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no watering necessary. Things just grew. I got awesome. home and things had doubled, tripled in size while I was gone. Yeah, so that I, was a hot spell too. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's the benefit of that. Nice. But I, I think it's just it's a, it's a diversion from what mm -hmm. you're used to, mm -hmm. and people are resistant to change. You know, if you're having if you're having success doing conventional gardening, it's hard to think that's of true. why you'd want to change that. Yeah, yeah. But, that's um, true. Hard to it break. It is less work overall. Net effect is that your garden's going to be as good or better with less work. Right, over right. the over the stretch of the season, yeah. and first time this I saw this idea uh, on a documentary, I just said, "That's it. That's the deal. That's the real deal, right there." Yeah, I am done doing it the way I'm doing it. I'm doing <laughs> it that way, just like that. Yeah, cool, awesome, awesome. Wow, that was that was a good episode. Very fitting with for the current weather. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that. Again, it was episode 12. You can find the show notes at maritimegardening.com slash 012. Uh, don't forget you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all that info on our website. Follow along on Facebook. Uh, we're we're going to try and update Twitter more often and explore some other social media things. But Perfect. That was a good one, Greg. Thanks for uh, tuning in, everybody. And uh, we will see you all on the next episode, episode 13. Thank you for listening. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>